Hello and welcome to worship here at Trinity. I'm so glad that you have joined us today. It's a great day in a journey we've been on called Hearts on Fire, where we are wrapping up that journey today in a really unique way. My name is Wade Giffen. I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here and being able to host you today. One of the wonderful things about having our heritage come from Charles and John Wesley is that those men knew music and uh, they wrote a whole lot of hymns. Now there's a reason they used hymns. They understood the power of how theology can be learned, can be taught to people when it's sung and sung over and over. And today we hope to show you the ways the Wesley hymns teach us theology. So let's turn now to worship. And are we yet alive and see each other's face? Glory and thanks to Jesus give for his almighty grace. Hallelujah. 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 Preserve our power divine to full salvation here again in Jesus' praise we join and in his sight appear. What troubles have we seen? What mighty conflicts have passed? Fightings without and fears within since we assembled last. All right, all right. Hey, hello, church. 
It's good to see you, those who I can see with my eyes in the room and those I see with my heart online. Um, if you are new, my name is Wade, um, Wade Giffen. I'm one of the pastors here. You're going to meet Pastor Kim here in just a little bit, and we're thrilled to be with you today and uh, leading in worship. Today is the end of our Hearts on Fire uh, series, and I, I, honestly, this is the Sunday I was looking forward to as we designed the service, because we're going to try something a little different today. Um, as we'll describe here in a little bit, the, the Wesley brothers, the founders of the Methodist movement, were prolific hymn writers, and they used hymns to teach theology and to teach faith and give people an opportunity to sing about faith. And so we're going to do that. As a matter of fact, the song that we opened with were lyrics of Charles Wesley um, and Are We Yet Alive? And uh, they would sing that hymn at the beginning of gatherings um, when they were first getting together. Now, Chris, I'm going to bet the Wesley's version sounded a little different than that one, but the lyrics uh, still stand um, as, as well indeed. Will you pray with me as we begin worship today? God, we thank you for the gift of this day. We thank you for the gift of each other as we gather in this space um, we pray that you would visit us with your spirit, that you would lead and guide us in this hour, that we would walk away from this hour being able to say, yes, I met the Lord in my time in worship today. God, we pray for that and we thank you. We know you're, you're already present. We don't have to ask you to do that. It's just getting our hearts in the place to be able to experience your presence that fills this place. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today, um, as I've said, is the closing week of our Hearts on Fire series. And in this series, we have been exploring what it is that we, United Methodists, what do we uniquely bring to the Christian family? And one of the ways we've been doing that is we've looked at the contribution that John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, and his brother Charles um, brought. And honestly, y'all, there are things we do and things we say that um, their influence is still deeply embedded in our DNA even today. So when Pastor Kim and I um, were working on the series, we determined that the centerpiece of the series was going to be on grace. I mean, if there's anything that Methodists are known for, it is no we are known for grace and the way we talk about us. About it, And so we took three weeks in the series to focus specifically on the ways in which we experience God's grace. And we learned how the Wesleys taught a way of salvation. They called it the way of salvation. And in that, we experience God's grace in three different ways. Remember how we talked about uh, God get, is working to get our attention before we're aware? It's kind of like being on the porch of a house. And then we say yes to Jesus. That's another way we experience God's grace. It's like walking through the door. And then we spend the rest of our lives surrendering our lives more and more over to Christ. And we experience grace that way. If you missed any of those weeks, um, I'm just really going to encourage you to, you know, grab your phone and get our podcast going because I think there's some really, really great stuff and important information in there. You can also um, get it online. You can look at a rebroadcast of those weeks. So this week is a different week. We are going to look at one of the primary means in which the Wesley's um, that they used to help people grow in grace. And they did that with music, with singing. And the Wesleys were prolific hymn writers, but especially Brother Charles. He's the one who wrote most of the hymns. I think as brothers, they kind of had this deal that worked out. Uh, John would preach, and y'all, go look at a John Wesley sermon online and just read it, and you'll be grateful that I'm your preacher and not John. Um, they were like eating a 10-year-old fruitcake. I mean, they were dense and really full of stuff. And then so what would happen then is that Charles would write hymns that would reinforce the theology and the doctrine and the scripture that, that John was trying to, to give. So I've entitled, each of our little talks today has a title, and I'm calling this one, The Bible in One Hand and a Hymnal in the Other. And the reason I've done that is because I think it describes part of the success of the Methodist movement. I mean, the Bible was, is the primary source that we use and that what the, West, and the Wesley's used. 
And for John Wesley, the scriptures were always center in his preaching, in his teaching. But he understood that for people to transform, that, that, just, that just wasn't enough. And so the people needed a way to practice what they were being taught in the sermons. And to repeatedly rehearse the teachings, the words, the scripture, the theology. And we all know that singing gets stuff into your heart. And so they grew up in a music family. They did that. But they did something really, really important to the nature of hymnody that really changed things forever. Up to that point, most of the hymns that people would sing in the church were all directed toward God. They would glorify God. They were often words from the hymns. Nothing wrong with that. But what the Wesleys understood is that we needed to take a step further beyond that, and that is to have words in hymns that talked about the personal experience with Jesus. And so that's reinforced for folks and for us even as we sing these, uh, these words. You know, um, Charles Wesley wrote 6,500 hymns. Now, some say it's as many as 9,000 because he had many that never got put to music or were used. He tried to write three hymns a week over 57 years. And one of the things he did that was a huge contribution to the Christian family is he wrote lyrics and hymns for the entire church year. For example, he wrote hymns for Advent and Christmas. Maybe you've heard a couple of these, like, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. I mean, that's often one we sing at the very first Sunday of Lent, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, as we are working our way through that. Or maybe you've heard this one. Um, what's the title? Hark the Herald Angels Sing? Have any of you heard that one? Or what about Easter? Um, do you know the one that goes, Christ our Lord is risen today? That's Wesley. I have a really good friend. Um, I'll give you his big formal name, and then I'll just call him Paul. He's the Reverend Dr. Paul Chilcote. Um, he is probably, probably our lead Wesley scholar these days. And not only is he a colleague, a clergy colleague, but he really is a personal friend of mine. And I really, I love Paul and appreciate him. And anytime I've been around Paul and he's leading something, he can't teach or lead anything without singing at least one or two Charles Wesley hymns. By the way, um, he has a favorite Wesley brother. His is Charles, or most of us, it seems to be John. So um, we're going we're gonna to begin to get into some music now, but I want to kind of give you a quote from my friend um, Paul Chilcote. He just did this really cool podcast about six months ago, and here's something that he said in that that I think is really fitting to today. Um, he was talking about the Advent hymn, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, and he said... He said, this is a perfect example of how the congregation needs to pay attention to the lyrics of the songs. And um, he said that, that, that to, to get a Charles Wesley hymn is to pay attention to the verbs, the verbs. And, and using Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, he gave these examples. So from our fears and sins, release us. What's the verb? Release. Or, or this verse, let us find our rest in thee. The verb, find. Uh, this line in that hymn, by thine own eternal spirit, rule in our hearts alone. Rule. Or raise us to thy glorious throne. Raise. He goes on to say that verbs are powerful because they're full of action. Release, find, bring, rule, raise. And of course, the whole hymn starts with a verb. Come, thou long-expected Jesus. And so he used all kinds of ways to help us do that. Um, and there's one other thing that, that Paul used to always say. He'd always say, all right, so now let's sing our faith. And then we would sing. So you're probably thinking, okay, Wade, let's get on with it if we're going to sing our faith. So we're going to start with our first Wesley, well, really our second Wesley uh, song for today. And um, I want to introduce it. Uh, our band is going to be singing it um, for us. The lyrics of this hymn are incredible. Um, and I've always loved them, but y'all listen to this. When I heard the story, 
behind the lyrics, it totally changed for me. Charles Wesley wrote this hymn on May the 21st, 1738. Okay? Do you know what happened on that day? That was the day of his conversion. That's when his life changed. That's when he walked through the door. That's when he said yes to Jesus. And Charles was so overwhelmed by what had just happened in his life, the only way he knew to process that and to work with that was to write a hymn. And he wrote these words that night. And when we know that these words are immediately after his conversion, they take on all different kind of, of meaning. I mean, so, so let's put our headspace in, in that place. Think for a moment. He had just had an experience with Christ that led him to his conversion. And his life was forever changed. Can you imagine that day? You may have had that day. So many thoughts, so many emotions. And then we hear it in the words of the hymn. Just, okay, with your mind there, listen to these words. He wrote, and can it be that I, should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? You hear it? Died he for me who caused his pain? For me who him to death pursued? And then he writes this, he goes, amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? It's hard for me to hear that hymn now without... Um, sorry, Courtney, I know you're singing the lead on this, but to, be, <laughs> to come to um, tears. That's just the first verse. Now, here's, a, here's another cool thing. On May the 24th, 1738, three days later, are you tracking with me? His brother John had his conversion experience. And uh, Lore says that the two brothers sang this together that night to celebrate their conversion. So think about their life, think about that moment. And um, Courtney, will you share those lyrics with us? And can it be that I should gain
Thank you. Thanks, Courtney. One of the things um, that, that you may be wondering about um, the Wesley hymns, because we've had two of them today that are, don't have traditional tunes, they didn't write these to tunes. They wrote these to a meter so that they could be put to all kinds um, of tunes. And uh, we still celebrate and enjoy the lyrics, because the lyrics are what teach. I don't know about you, but um, my chains fell off. That is, uh, that's, that's the stanza that always gets me. Um, so um, you guys want to do a little singing? We're going to do a little bit of that ourselves. But before we do that, I'm going to share something with you that's a part of our Wesley tradition. This is the United Methodist Hymnal. And um, on the very first page that has information written on it, um, you will find a page that's entitled Directions for Singing. And these are John Wesley's instructions to the church for how to sing. And um, I think they still work today. So you want to hear them? I want to share some of these with you. So here, here's what he wrote. Number one, learn these tunes before you learn any others. Afterwards, learn as many as you please. Number two, sing them exactly as they're printed here without altering or mending them at all. And if you have learned to sing them otherwise, unlearn it as soon as you can. <laughs> sing all. See that you join with the congregation as frequently as you can. Let not a slight degree of weakness or weariness hinder you. If it is a cross to you, take it up and you will find it a blessing. I love this one. Sing lustily and with good courage. Beware of singing as if you were half dead or half asleep. But lift up your voice with strength. Be no more afraid of your voice now, nor more ashamed of its being heard than when you sung the songs of Satan. Sing modestly. Do not bawl so as to be heard above or distinct from the rest of the congregation, that you may not destroy the harmony, but strive to unite your voices together so as to make one clear melodious sound. Sing in time. Whatever time is sung, be sure to keep with it. Do not run before nor stay behind it, but attend, to, attend close to the leading voices and move therewith as exactly as you can and take care not to sing too slow. This drawling way naturally steals on all who are lazy. Kim, if preachers spoke to their churches like that today, and it is high time to drive it out from all of us and sing all our tunes just as quick as we did at first. And then finally, this instruction. Above all, sing spiritually. Have an eye to God in every word you sing. Aim at pleasing him more than yourself or any other creature. In order to do this, attend strictly to the sense of what you sing and see that your heart is not carried away with the sound but offered to God continually. So shall your singing be such as the Lord will approve here and reward you when he cometh in the clouds of heaven. Those are the instructions for singing. Do you think it'll impact the way we sing, sing today? Uh, who knows, right? We can hope for that. Um, that's, that's a lot of fun. So we're going to move to our first, um, our first hymn. And the first one that we selected is one called Love Divine, All Love's Excelling. And let me tell you why this one. You know how we spent three weeks talking about the way of salvation? This is a hymn that reinforces the way of salvation. And remember that the way of salvation it describes the experience of God's grace that leads us from the moment of not even having any awareness of God through a coming into a relationship with Jesus and then being perfected in the way that we love on, on the way. And so this hymn highlights Wesleyan theology. It speaks of how the, the spirit transforms us in the journey. When we recognize and accept God's love for us, when we have been, as we have said in the series, when we say yes to Jesus, when we walk through that door, God's grace gets to work in us perfecting us in the way that we love. And you know, as we've been saying in the series, how long does that take? The rest of our lives are given to that. 
it's, I think it's a hard for a lot of folks to integrate that. I mean, to say, you know, we say, okay, yeah, we're broken, and God can heal me from my brokenness, and God can give me power over sin. But then we get to that perfection word. You know, can this really be a thing? But remember, perfection does not mean perfect. The perfection in this context means we are becoming perfect in the way that we love, the way that we love God and the way that we love people. And Charles believed, Charles Wesley believed that was true. And, and, and then he expresses that in every one of these stanzas. By the way, here's a little bit of trivia about this hymn. This was the closing hymn for the funeral service of Queen Elizabeth II. She certainly was moved by the final words of this, of this hymn. Here's, here's the final words. It says, Till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love, and praise, coming in the funeral of a person who literally wore a crown, till we cast our crowns before thee. So I invite you now, um, as, uh, as our band leads us, to hear how this, this hymn, you've got to pay attention to the words, how it moves us through the way of salvation. Chris, will you lead us? I'll stand up.
Well, the Wesleys, life was all about following that way of salvation that Pastor Wade talked about. It was about growing in a more perfect love. And they believed that communion played an important role in this. John once preached that the Lord's Supper was the grand channel whereby the grace of his spirit was conveyed to the souls of all the children of God. And our next song, it came from this deeply held belief. Come, sinners, to the gospel feast. It was originally a song that had 24 stanzas. Now, given that most churches are not likely to sing 24 verses, um, a hymnal editor in the 1980s split them into two different hymns. Um, and it is important, I think, for us to look at the entire message of that song. And so as we sing this, I'm going to invite you to listen for three main things. First, you're going to hear a joyful welcome for all people. There's an invitation for all to come to the table. In that first verse we hear, let every soul be Jesus' guest. Ye need not one be left behind. Second, you're going to hear this idea that Jesus meets our hunger in ways that nothing else and no one else can. The gospel feast is a feast of salvation. It's Jesus meeting the hunger inside of us. And finally, I want you to listen for the urgency in this hymn. In the last verse, we hear, this is the time, no more delay. Come thou this moment. It encourages us to come with a sense of eagerness to meet Jesus. And you can almost hear Charles Wesley, you can almost hear his excitement and his desire to share what he's found with others. And so as we sing this, I hope that we'll sing with that same kind of recognition and the same kind of passion Charles had.
before we sang that song, you heard me say that Charles was eager to share what he had found with others. But what was it that Charles Wesley had found? He found a real love. A love that came into the world in Jesus Christ. A love that lit his heart and John's heart on fire. A love that is meant for every one of us. A love incarnate, which is what we sing about every Christmas. Now, all of these songs are about love, and they're filled with wonder and praise. And so you might say that, in a way, it was Christmas all of the time for the Wesleys. And it wouldn't be Christmas without one of Charles Wesley's most famous hymns, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Now, the interesting thing about this song is that wasn't the original title. It was originally called, Hark How All the Welkins Ring. It's pretty catchy, isn't it? How many of you know that version? <laughs> well, how many of you know what a welkin is? In the first service, nobody had an idea. But a welkin is an ancient English word that meant heavens or the host of heavens. It was essentially a heavenly choir. And George Whitfield, who was a close colleague of the Wesleys, he decided to change the song to what we sing today. The other piece that was added to Charles's work was the refrain, because Charles Wesley did not include refrains in his hymns. And so the phrase, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, was added to make it more catchier, um, and more singable. Now, as we sing this song, I want you to listen for the sense of joy and wonder at God's incredible love. And I also want you to pay attention to how this song ends. Born that we may no longer die. Born to raise us from the earth. Born to give us second birth. For Wesley's for the Wesley's new birth was what came from experiencing God's justifying grace. It came from saying yes to Jesus. And so you can see that these hymns are always bringing us back to that way of salvation. So let's sing that now as a way of saying that we always have reason to celebrate the good news of Christmas all the time. Let's stand up and sing this. Right, you know how it goes. Sing it out.
Thanks. You may be seated. So I'm going to introduce uh, our last our last song, our last hymn for uh, today. And uh, have, have you all heard of Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Have you run run into that one along the way? Um, remember when we talked about um, and can it be that Courtney sang for us earlier today? We remember the date that it was written was May twenty first, seventeen thirty eight. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing was written. Are you ready for it? May twenty first, seventeen thirty nine. What was that? It was the anniversary. It was the one-year celebration of Charles' conversion that he'd had a year before. He was talking with a Moravian guy by the name of Peter Bowler, and he, in this, there's something Peter said to him that stuck in his brain, and this became the anniversary. Peter said to this, he said, you know, had I a thousand tongues, I would praise him with all of them. And Charles responded with a hymn, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Now, this hymn originally had 19 <laughs> verses. Those Wesley boys got a little carried away sometimes, right? Uh, in the church today, we, we normally only sing six. Um, and here's a little trivia about, about this hymn. This was the first Wesley hymn that was ever published in a hymnal. And it showed up in the hymnal on the first page. So it was the first hymn they published in the first hymnal, and it was on the first page. So ever since then, in keeping with our tradition, this has been the first hymn in every Methodist hymnal that's been published since then. Our current edition, it keeps that practice. I know some folks say, well, it's number 57 in the hymnal, Wade. Yeah, well, there's... 56 pages of other stuff that comes before. But this is the first hymn in the hymnal. The first hymn, first hymnal, um, the first one we sing. And so uh, with that, um, mostly, Chris, this, this hymn is a hymn of praise. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for a thousand tongues to be able to praise, to praise God, his one-year anniversary was all about praise. Yeah. I'll stand up again, y'all. Sing out. Sing lustily. Is that the word? Bring all you got, y'all. Assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth, the
this brought a really a crescendo to the end of our journey and that you have um, some healthy pride in being a person that God has entrusted a, a bit of who God is to the world as United Methodists and, and we share that. Never forget that the aim of the life of faith is towards perfection and that is being perfect in love. John and Charles would never be satisfied if we stopped when we say yes to Jesus for what we get out of it, but that we spend the rest of our lives living that out in the world. And you can hear that in the words I'm going to use as our blessing today. These are the words that John Wesley would use often as a benediction at the end of a gathering and listen to how um, they always left with a word of going on towards perfection and um, receive this as the blessing for today, and then we'll be dismissed. He said, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all of the places you can, at all of the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. God bless you. Go in peace. I hope to see you on Wednesday.